Thanks for joining us at BIV Today, the daily podcast from the newsroom of business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. Our podcast today is sponsored by the province's largest law firm, Faskin, with more than 800 lawyers and 10 offices in Canada, the United Kingdom, South Africa, and China. We held our annual CEO of the Year Awards ceremony on Monday, and we're all in such a good mood still that we thought it would be a good idea to get together, talk about some of their leadership styles, their advice, and their experiences in recent years. Let me introduce three of our five winners, five of our winning CEOs who need actually very little introduction in the community. Ryan Beatty is one of the most prominent industrial and residential developers we have, the CEO of the firm that bears his surname. He's also an extraordinary philanthropist, making commitments, well, well over $100 million to a variety of community good works and to education. Sue Pache is the CEO of the Federal Digital Technology Supercluster, which has in three short years developed roughly a thousand partnerships to advance the interests of Canadian firms in that wide ranging sector. And Dick Vollett is the CEO of the St. Paul's Hospital Foundation, helping to finance arguably the most significant addition to our province's healthcare system, oh, in at least a generation. Good to have all three of you here. Well, let's, let's start off. Um, Ryan, uh, give me a little bit of a sense here about uh, about the grounding that you had uh, in in developing your own leadership. Your father was, of course, an extraordinary influence on you. And w- what other influences did you have in order to craft your own value system? Uh, that's a great, great question. I mean, he uh, obviously had a significant role uh, in my life growing up and into adulthood. In fact, when, we were, when I was younger, I had somewhat of a challenging relationship with him, I think. Um, I was not the easiest teenager to get along with, but as I grew older, um, uh, he had a big impact. And he just impressed upon me so many significant um, uh, value, values and ideas that he would sort of drive home. And I actually sort of lived in almost a healthy fear of him, but he had a big impact. And I, every day I, I still think about the, those messages and trying to impart them into my team, onto my team. But my mom, for sure, um, I always felt my mom was very compassionate caring person, not that he wasn't, but he had this sort of aggressive, you know, sort of strong-willed side and a very uh, understanding, a compassionate sort of approach she took with me almost too much where I could almost do no wrong in her eyes. Or I, a lot of times I deserved to maybe be in trouble and she would make some sort of excuse for me. So I had these sort of countervailing um, uh, different sort of opinions, but my parents, a big influence. I've got uh, three half siblings from my dad's first marriage, my older brother, Colin, just a totally wonderful, uh, person. So growing up, those those people would be uh, would have been big influence over me. But as I mentioned yesterday, I think uh, as an adult, uh, YPO Young Presidents Organization, my YPO Forum group, we were together for 20 years, and you meet every month with these people and form a very strong bond and sharing you know the deepest, most personal, intimate things. There's a lot of growth that came from that. I, I've always been in my life. I try to surround myself with really smart people and just sort of pull a little bit here, a little bit here from, from the different people that have, uh, I've been fortunate to, to connect with. Nice. Sue, help me understand how you crafted your own, your own values, where you think they were derived and, uh, and how they've adapted. Yeah, thanks. And, uh, a lot like Ryan, uh, my parents had a big influence. Uh, we were, um, my parents are immigrants, were immigrants from England, so we were the first generation Canadian and we had, we had no, uh, no family around us other than 
the super six, as we called it, my two sisters, brother and my parents. And there were two things that happened that, that really shaped all of us. One was my parents' determination to make us familiar with every corner of the province geographically. So when everyone else was uh, holidaying in beautiful cabins on Lake Okanagan, we were pitching tents in Telqua in northeastern BC, um, learning how to smoke fish, or, or we were traipsing around the grounds that are now the W.C. Bennett Dam. And, and we felt totally um, disadvantaged as teenagers and as, as children uh, doing that. But in later years, we realized just how lucky we are that none of the four of us could say we haven't been to every corner of the province. So that was one thing. The other thing is because we were alone here as a family and all of our relatives were in England, my parents thought it was important that we at least try and spend some time uh, in England, knowing, uh, getting to know our other relatives. And my situation was a little different from my siblings and that my grandmother, my grandfather died when I was nine, leaving my grandmother as a widow. And my parents thought it would be a good idea to put a nine-year-old on a plane by herself in April, 1968, and send me to England for two and a half years uh, with no connection with my parents or my siblings. This is before... Um, internets or emails or anything like that, 68 to 70. And uh, you grow up fast. You learn how to fit in. You learn how to adapt. You learn how to be independent. And I think I carried that with me. Yeah, yeah. Geez, I thought my mother putting me on a streetcar when I was age six to go to the Beatles, to go downtown was a bit of an abandonment. But uh, two and a half years, that's a long time. <laughs> that's a long week. Dick, let's let's move to you uh, because I, I worry that this could be a little therapeutic here if we're not careful um, about what your your value systems uh, owe themselves to in terms of influences. Yeah, thanks, Kirk. And you know, for me, I, I won't go as far back as my childhood, but uh, I did have some strong role models. My grandmother was one of those uh, interesting women who you know spent her life in a house dress and you know cooked great soup and. I used to come home from school every day and eat too fast so I could get back and play floor hockey with my buddies. So uh, my grandmother instilled a lot of really good work ethic uh, skills in me. But, you know, go fast forward. I, I was lucky enough to spend 20 years at London Drugs working for three generations of the Louie family. So I worked with uh, Tong Louie uh, and then Brant Louie and, and now with Stuart. So, you know, I, I really have a lot of good things to say about that family and and some of the things that I learned growing up in the business world, uh, in the for-profit world, working with them. And then and then the other big role model I had was uh, the time I spent on the Olympics working with John Furlong. Uh, mm -hmm. He's just one of those guys that, you know, when you sit in a quiet moment with him, whether it's, you know, on a plane flying somewhere or just even I was lucky enough to have the moment to spend some time with him, was just talking about his leadership philosophies mm -hmm. or his attitudes toward uh, towards how he behaves as a leader. And they just aligned with me and who I am. Um, you know, and I think Ryan, you alluded to it yesterday in, in your in your talk was, you know, it's it's hard to find people these days in leadership roles that'll do what they say they're going to do. And that's one of my fundamentals. When you said it, it just resonated with me. It's, you know, it's very, very rare you can find people in leadership roles that, that will follow through on what they say they're going to do. And that's one of my founding principles. I'm going to ask uh, each of the three of you to name a name um, of somebody who you think you've influenced or that you feel like your imprint has been has been really brought to in your work. 
that you can look back on and say, you know, like I actually, that's that's somebody that I think I, you know, I, I really helped. I, I helped in the way that I was helped. Ryan, do you do you have somebody? Oh, you know, I, a few come to mind, and I'm. I'm um, You're gonna have to pick one up. You know, right? I've got one. I've got it. Um, but I, you know, hopefully he would agree with this. And it's it's. Um, I'm I'm somewhat reluctant to say it, but. Uh, Charles Chang, who's become a, a good friend of mine. I remember one of the first times I met him, he was talking to me about our, don our donation or investment in the BD school at SFU. And he was saying how awesome it was and how one day as he grew his business, he would hope to do something similar that was really inspiring for him. And lo and behold, a few years later, he sold Vega and developed the Charles mm -hmm. Chang Institute of Entrepreneurship at the BD school. And, you know, I'm like, wow, like a, to, to some, it's humbling to think that, you know, some of the things we've done have actually inspired others, and those were his uh, his words. So I, I think that uh, we had a positive impact uh, on Charles and his uh, philanthropic giving. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and Sue, you've you know you've been really for four decades somebody who has led and led and led. Um, who who do you feel like you you led best to the best outcomes? Well, I don't know if she'd say this, but uh, a young woman named Joby McKenzie, who I met when I was at Life Labs, and uh, she was a young uh, advisor from um, Boston Consulting Group that Life Labs was using, and and uh, I sat down with her over coffee to to talk about an assignment that we had for Boston Consulting, and within about fifteen minutes, I thought. I think, I think I want to hire this person. And how do we do that without making Boston Consulting Group very unhappy with us? Uh, anyhow, we did end up hiring her and uh, and she and I became fast friends. Uh, she's quite a bit younger than me. And so she was raising her children. My children were already adults. And uh, this woman jumps over tall buildings in a single bound. She's been on the women's basketball team. She's got two PhD, uh, honors degrees all the way up and down. And, and, and yet she didn't quite know where she wanted to go with her career. So we spent a lot of time uh, over coffee, walks in the park, uh, me babysitting her kids when I was in Ontario. It wasn't a formal mentorship type program. And she ended up being the Canadian president for Babylon Health and then moved on and, and is now the Canadian president for a, a huge multinational called Teladoc in virtual health. And so I've just watched her grow from... Uh, you know, sort of a recent grad, albeit a PhD grad, uh, into a, a major leader and community-inspired, great parent and role model for herself. And we're still yeah. fast friends. Those are that's a great proud story, uh, Dick. Do you have somebody that you you pick out of the hat over the yeah number of years? Well, it's interesting. I got a little bit of time to think about it because, like like Ryan, I, I've mentored a number of people. I hope uh, in the right direction. I, I hope, um, but um, I, I'm gonna. I have two uh, wonderful boys. Uh, my oldest is 37, my youngest is 35. And I gotta say, I, I think, I hope they would say this, that they've learned a little bit from me along the way. And my oldest son is, uh, is a fairly successful individual with the uh, Oracle Group. He works in the software industry. He's, he's fantastic. He travels the world and, uh, and loves doing it. And my youngest son has uh, two of my favorite people in the world, my granddaughter and my grandson. He's, it's great to see your kids become parents. Uh, and he's also very successful in the tech world. So I, I'd like to think they both got their work ethic from me. Um, 
they de definitely got a sense of humor, not for me probably, but uh, they're both great young men. The, the um, life of a, a leader, uh, I've heard, is not always, uh, not always an easy one. And it's also uh, one that has um, a little bit of solitude about it in that it's hard, it's hard to share beyond your family what is really going on in your world. Um, uh, let me get a bit of insight from each of you about how you actually manage to confide somehow or find sources of, you know, of, of some kind of um, support that, you know, w without having to burden your families every night that you come home, you know. Um, Ryan, where where generally do you find that? And, and you don't have to name names here, that's for sure. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. And I think you're absolutely right. I was thinking about it this morning. I've got some meetings today where I'm going, okay, I'm going to potentially have to sort of play a bit of a devil's advocate role and take positions that might not be very popular. Um, and then sometimes you have to, to do that as a leader. And, uh, you know, I don't want to burden my family, although they're very supportive. So again, I'm very fortunate in my years in, in YPO. I've got a very strong network of people that I can draw upon. And I'm a very open person generally. And uh, I connect well with uh, other people in, in the network. And I share my experience. They share theirs. And be able to tap into a, a broad and knowledge base and, and get from people their experience of what they've done in not necessarily giving advice back and forth, but just sharing uh, experiences and learning from that. I had that today. I mean, I got a call this morning to someone say, what, you know, what's going on with this? What do you think? And uh, again, I'm very fortunate to have a pretty strong network of people who will give me sort of the unvarnished uh, truth and I would do the same for them. So I'm very fortunate that way. That's nice. Sue? Yeah, um, I've been intrigued listening to Ryan talk about YPO uh, because I'm part of a group that is kind of sort of like YPO. And let me just put it into context. 20 years ago, it was really hard for someone like me to get into YPO, i.e. a woman. In fact, I tried twice. And um, a person who reported me, reported to me was admitted to YPO, but I was not. So it was interesting. And what was even more interesting was some folks in YPO, some guys, put a forum group together with the mandate of having it gender balanced. So this is uh, 20, 21 years ago, and we're still together. And, and they've brought in a lot of those values that you've talked about, Ryan, from YPO into our forum, uh, which is um, nothing, no one, never. So you can share everything knowing that it's a lockbox. The thing that they've done for me though, over the past 20 years, um, that that has really helped me in my career and I'd say in my life is um, is to understand how to um, how to be uh, forceful without being unkind or bossy or mean. And in particular, when I was um, being interviewed for the job at Life Lab or not at Life Labs at uh, PharmaSafe, they put me through a mock interview, um, and I'll be honest, they made me cry. Uh, cause I wanted to, you know, be the team player and all this. And I remember one of them saying, you got to put your darn hand up if you want the job and, and really instilled this sense that if you want to be a leader, then lead and, uh, and make sure that people know what you stand for. And so I, I've relied on my forum, uh, members for personal family business issues for the last 20 years. And I, 
You know what? I honestly don't know where I'd be without them because wow. uh, you can't take it home all the time to your to your family. Oh, that's great. Awesome, Dick. Mm. Yeah, it's it's good. I've I, I got two groups I belong to. One, uh, and they both feed different parts of my uh, of my need. The one is the McKay CEO Forum. I've been belong I've belonged to McKay for over ten years now, and I, I just uh, the the group has changed and evolved, but I really get a lot of value there, and it's a nice cone of silence. Uh, the other is a, a group called Legatus. Uh, it's a group for uh, Catholic leaders in Vancouver, and there's some uh, again a forum group that I belong to that feeds that part of my my need and and it's uh, again like you sue it's a group of people i've been with for over five six years now and i just i don't know if i could get along without them but for the simple fact that my wife would uh probably kill me if i brought everything home to her so yeah it's great to have them um i want to ask uh about the kinds of advice that you give people now because you're likely asked every day for for this and that and the other um and and you would be much in demand you probably have emails that back up all the time, phone calls that back up all the time, appointments that you, you know, are overlapping throughout the course of the day. Um, and I want to want to understand a little bit about how much you see your roles uh, as advanced and and as secure as they've been to now share advice with people and spend time advising people and uh, and and doing that as part of your work and and largely what what your focus is when you're providing advice. What do you feel your best advice is to people? And you know, what, what lane do you try to get in and stay in in all of this? And Sue, let me start with you on this one. Yeah, uh, thanks for the question. Uh, I'm, gonna go, I'm gonna go back to the mid seventies when, uh, when I worked at General Motors. And uh, I thought I wanted to be in labor relations, employment and labor relations when I was uh, in business school. And I had a really interesting boss at the time who said, okay, well, if you want to be in labor relations, let's put you in labor relations. And at the age of, I guess, 18, I was the first woman to ever work on the floor of a factory, of a GM factory and assembly plant. We were in the fab plant um, as a labor relations uh, advisor. And Mostly men in the in the fab plant didn't know what had happened. <laughs> like, what was this creature in there? And so I learned a lot of things in that experience for myself that I now use when I'm uh, when I'm talking to others. And one is a sense of purpose. You know, a lot of times people ask questions that are about what, why, who, or sorry, what, when, who, how fast. And I know I drive my own team somewhat crazy, although I think they've adapted quite well, um, is before you get into all of that, let's talk about why, let's talk about purpose. You know, somebody phones and says, you know, I want to get on a board. I get those calls a lot. I want to get on a board. Okay, why? Tell me why. And it's really surprising how often people struggle with that question. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so whenever somebody seeks guidance from me, how do I have children and still be a career-oriented woman? How do I advance into the C-suite? All those kinds of questions that you get. Why do you want to do that? Because purpose is a really important thing for me. The second thing is is instilling in people the importance of being vulnerable. You know, we're human. 
and we all make mistakes. Uh, we all wish we could put the words back in our mouths from, well, at least I do, maybe the rest here on the phone call don't, but you know, I wish I hadn't have said that, or I wish I'd done it differently. Uh, and, um, and, and so being vulnerable. And then the third thing I, I try to live my life this way and, and suggest others do is um, remove the word should from our language. It's an incredibly judgmental and devastating word. I should have done this. I shouldn't have done that. Um, and it goes hand in hand with being vulnerable. So those are the those are the three things. I'm a really purpose driven person in everything that I do in my life, and and I think purpose kind of evades us a lot of times when we live in the world that is as compressed time wise as it is now. And then being being vulnerable, we're human, uh, and it never should yourself. I actually learned the should part from my uh, forum group. Don't should yourself. I should go to Ryan next, but I'll go to Dick. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Kirk. It's a, it's a great question. And uh, I'll go back in time too. I'll go back to when I was on the Olympics on the Vancouver Organizing Committee for the 2010 Winter Games. And um, one of the things I learned there uh, very quickly uh, from a lot of people uh, was, you know, just to not to be afraid of anything. Um, because, you know, fear creeps into, you know, most of our lives at different times and you kind of wonder whether you can do things, certain things. And we always knew they were never going to move the opening ceremony date of the Olympics in 2010. So we had to get it done. And there was a, you know, there's th three or four big files that landed on my desk as a VP of venue operations that, you know, tested everything. Um, but what I learned there from a leader in that time was to make sure I took care of myself. And, and what I meant by that was like physically, I, I needed to I needed to turn off the phone at 10 o'clock and plug it in and not turn it on until five o'clock the next morning, which was the regular routine for, you know, five years. Um, and, and that sounds quite simple, but a lot of times, you know, the, the technology these days is so invasive. And so I, I make sure I schedule time to go to the gym, you know, simple time, simple things that you take for granted. But what it does is it allows you to clear your head. It allows you to take care of yourself. It allows you to make sure that you're physically and mentally willing and able to do all the things that we need to do on a regular basis. And then, yeah, it's just, it's um, take care of yourself first. Make sure, you know, you take your vacation, you take the time you need. It's not a badge of honor. No one's going to give you an award for not taking your vacation at the end of your career. Um, but uh, you need to take care of yourself. So that's one of the things I, I try to yeah. tell people. That's great advice. Ryan? Yeah, I'm fortunate. I get to spend a lot of time with students through the BD Learnings program or BD School at SFU. And I love spending time uh, with students and I'm often asked, you know, different questions. And so there is uh, opportunities do arise to give advice. And I've got a, a few sort of things. My good friend, John O'Neill, he always said good things happen when you show up. So show up, say yes to things and be open to experiences. I, I'm all about relationships. Our business is totally based on that i was thinking today coming in into this and seeing sue and dick yesterday we've had very limited interactions over the years very limited but i recall them i remember talking to sue on the phone 10 years ago it's an awesome conversation so when i see her i feel like i know her even though i don't really but there's a comfort that comes uh, from that so i think just being open to new people and new experiences it's, it's really important but back to the values issues we were talking about before uh, especially for these younger people coming out, being honest, being true to your word, say you're going to do something. You want to be uh, the kind of person that someone can count on, that they can rely on when they say they're going to do something, they're going to do it. So that personal brand, that reputational capital, I think is uh, always, you know, invaluable. But this day and age, I think it's it's critical. And um, 
it's a uh, it's something that I try to impart on the people that I'm speaking with. I'm, I'm going to ask uh, as as we kind of conclude here. Um, I'm going to assume you like your jobs more during the pandemic than you did before the pandemic. Every, every executive so far I've spoken to says there's something about this crazy upside down world over the last 20 or so months that has actually taught them a lot. But I want to get that from you about what you feel it has taught you about yourself and how that learning, if you want to call it that, has has uh, made you enjoy what you do a bit more. Dick, can I start with you on that? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question, uh, Kirk. And you know, being in healthcare, I think I, I get a little bit closer to the issue being COVID than than most. And you know, reading the daily reports or you know, many, how many people are in ICU and and you know, you it just it comes closer to home. So for me, I, I think the one thing I really learned is I learned I, I learned to be I always thought I was empathetic as a leader, but I, I learned to be more empathetic as a leader to people's needs and the fears that are real to them uh, that are not real to me. So just understanding where people are at in terms of a pandemic and what impact that has on their life. So not being as judgmental, being a little bit more empathetic and, and just uh, being willing, willing to meet people where they are around something as, as critical as this pandemic and everything yeah. that goes with it. It's nice. Ryan? I think it's a great answer. I, I, empathy is one of the words that came to mind for me. I think, you know, we go about our business day to day. We've got a lot of employees, a lot of people that sort of rely on the leadership here and on myself. But when everything kind of hit, it's like, okay, it's, you know, time to time to step up. And and I, I love my job before, but I, in some respects, loved it even more because I want to be there for my people. I want to be there for, for the team, whatever they need. Let's uh, you know do whatever we can to support support our people. We kept our sites going. We kept people working, even though you're going, okay, who's going to buy these buildings? Who knows? So I think in some respects, the challenges that it brought maybe have brought out the best in me. And I was, um, you know, I gotta say I was kind of proud of myself and how I um, how I handled things and how the leadership uh, here did, especially during the the worst times of the pandemic. Mm, yeah. Hope we have to don't don't have to do this one again though, do we? Um, Sue. Yeah, so three things. Uh, first, and I'd say foremost, is really appreciating uh, that critical balance between family and work. Uh, being at home, we were we closed our office uh, back in March, and we're we're sort of back now. But for a long period of time, I was working from this room, which is in my home, and my husband stays home, and. Um, I will say uh, that when I was at the office and he was at home, I kind of wondered often what he did all day. And, uh, you know, I'd come home and, and what did you do all day? Because he's, he's retired. Uh, being at home, I, I have a whole new appreciation of how hard it is to have three adult children who rely on you a lot and, and a big house and, and uh, community engagement and, and really, really appreciated the role of, uh, family members that stay home and take care of the rest of us. So that was one thing. The second thing, uh, we have a very young team uh, in the super cluster. Most of them are under 30. And, uh, and seeing how they experience the pandemic, very different from us. Many of them live in teeny tiny 
apartments with no outdoor space, or they live in a basement suite, or they even live with parents or grandparents. And so staying at home for some of us was kind of cool at first, unless you live in a teeny tiny space that you're sharing with two roommates and, and the uncertainty that the pandemic brought and the fear and the bombardment of social media and no escaping from it. So it really helped me appreciate that how I experience the world is not how everybody else experiences the world. And I'm, I'm never going to forget that. And it, it really drilled into me um, the importance of understanding everybody has their own experience of whatever the, whatever the, the item is or the issue is. And then the third thing, sort of the counterpoint to that is the agility and the resilience of the human spirit. It's a, it's a little bit what, what Dick was talking about in ter- and, and, and Ryan in terms of empathy and caring. But I looked at this small group that we work with of, of very with very young people and just saw them lean in. When we were called by Ottawa in mid-March of 2020 to do something to help COVID, you know, we kind of looked at each other and said, well, what did you have in mind? Um, and and the, the speed at which this little group of mighty people came together and and the results that we got from that is just remarkable. But watching us work together in a totally uncertain environment for the betterment of Canadian small business really uh, was really heartwarming. So those are three things. Those are all great. Uh, and it's been a great conversation. We could go on for a couple of hours, a couple of weeks. You know, we pull a marathon here. But um, I'm appreciative of your time and I don't want to uh, overtax it. But I want to thank the three of you for uh, your time and congratulations again for being our uh, some three of our BIV CEOs of the year. And uh, we'll see you again. Sue Pesh, Ryan Beatty, Dick Bollock. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks, Kirk. You've been watching BIV Today. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. We'll see you again.